Welcome to Love Bites. Love Bites. Love Bites. By Dr. Tara, your destination for sexual wellness and mindful relationship advice. Hope you're having an orgasmic day. Have you ever wanted an STD test but didn't have time to go to a clinic? Now there is a solution. Let's get checked has an at-home STD test with fast results. It's simple. You order your test, collect your sample, and receive your accurate results online. They also provide medication at no extra cost for most states. There are also other health and wellness tests for men and women as well. Check out Let's Get Checked. The link is in my episode description, and the discount code is Dr. Tara. And have a worry-free, orgasmic time. Oh, hello, loves! Today we have a super interesting guest that I think will all be fascinated by the world that is different from what most of us perhaps know. My guest today is an international professional dominatrix, and her name is Ava. Thank you so much for being here, Ava. Thank you so much for having me, Dr. <laughs> it's so exciting for me. And, you know, I'm uh, typically, I'm not nervous, but I feel like I have butterflies in my stomach. <laughs> I feel like I'm online one. dating. <laughs> <laughs> You're doing wonderfully so far. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you, miss. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess uh, I want to get started by my really just uh, curiosity question. Can you please tell us what you do and any relevant experience you'd like to share? Yeah. So a professional dominatrix usually will meet with a client uh, and create a little bit of um, a fetish experience. So that could be an hour, two, three, six, maybe more where they take into consideration the fetishes that the client is interested in and they'll create this scenario around it, around some sort of fantasy experience that is hopefully fulfilling for everybody involved in something. What yeah. are like some of these? Can you share some top common fantasies that your clients typically ask for? Yeah, so I think probably the most obvious one is the power dynamic in and of itself. So people who tend to come to somebody in a dominant position wants to feel in a submissive position. So there's that dominant submissive power dynamic that they're going for. And that can be expressed in many different ways, but um, it can also just be maybe an approach of just experiencing hierarchy that they normally don't necessarily get to play out in their day to day. And in particular with a female presence, so a femdom framework, so a female dominance framework. And then, you know, when it comes to specific fetishes, the range is wide. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, are there obvious like contracts, kind of like what we see in movies, uh, like um, paper contracts? Yeah. So when it comes to you're hiring a dominatrix for a shorter period of time, a lot of the negotiation is mostly verbal. Uh, however, when it comes to lifestyle arrangements or longer term arrangements, that's when paper can come into play. And I don't know what, what you've seen, but everybody tends to have a different 
type of contract, whether that goes into specific protocol around how we handle our day-to-day, our finances, how we call each other, how we have a breakout clause, (laughs) or it could be as simple as, you know, five sentences about now being owned by somebody or leaving the responsibility of the emotions of the relationship in one person's hands as opposed to so much of the other. So it really, it really depends. Yeah. And, and the range is wide because the people who come to things are wide and therefore what people are looking for or need or want to be creative with, uh, they look very different. Yeah. So in this case where most people's imagination run wild. Uh, how do you ensure safety? In the space where... So I would say that I, was, I started in a dungeon and I got to train with a lot of other mistresses around me as well as the headmistress. And so I think there's an element of peer-to-peer learning that really helps you to understand what can and cannot work in terms of some physicalities and also in terms of the ways that you might need to navigate clients and or submissives personality wise (laughs) personally and that is very helpful you need to also do your own research in terms of anatomically the way bodies are structured in terms of where you can tie can't tie you need to be aware of each individual. You need to be able to read people enough to a certain extent to see where their pain thresholds are, when they're trying to be brave, when they really can't handle things. And, and then there's also things around your own personal security that you can also learn over time that I've learned over time. So things to reveal, things not to reveal, how to structure the way that I you know, let certain information go or not. Yes, yeah. it's got a lot of things that, you need to think about I think just generally as a woman in the world but also when you're working on an intimate level with people who can get quite attached to you yeah oh so Mm -hmm. there are clients that do get attached to their dominatrix oh yeah all the time I mean it's it's such by attached do you mean like falling in love or just oh yeah absolutely yeah or even just um the thing is I think a lot of the times when it comes to professional domination, as opposed to maybe personal in comparison, it probably still has a lot of similarities, but it's, it's this space where a lot of people are able to express their innermost desires, their most vulnerable desires. And when they're in that space, you know, an attachment starts to breed because they feel a sense of acceptance that maybe they didn't get a chance to feel outside of that space. And so in a professional context, it can be particularly acute because maybe they haven't necessarily revealed it to anybody mm. else. And so it's quite a concentrated moment in time, effort, relationship. Yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting. So like, I guess my next question is, how did you become a professional dominatrix? <laughs> uh, somebody suggested it to me, a partner of mine, many, many, many years ago, maybe 15, 15 over years ago. And I was just speaking to them in the doorway in their home, asking <laughs> them to do something for me. And I think my, uh, my communication style, because I'm a woman, I think is perceived as quite assertive and or even aggressive, but I think it's just clarity. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Mm-hmm. 
I guess a lot of women don't get that space um, or people don't give them that space. It's perceived as a dominant trait. And so they made that suggestion. I think they did it half jokingly saying, oh, you would make a great dominatrix. And I didn't necessarily have the archetype in my head at the oh, time. It was like inception. Maybe, yeah. Had a seed in your head. But I just like, put it there and then I just kept talking. And then, you know, I didn't think about it until about five, five years later or so when I was doing, uh, I was in a, uh, in a strategic consulting role and I'd normally done it on a contractual basis, but then I joined an agency and I realized how much I didn't like that framework as well as the way that the job was geared towards basically mass manipulation of the Mm -hmm. mass market. I wasn't very Mm -hmm. interested in that once it became Mm -hmm. clear to my naive and idealistic mind. When you say agency, is it an agency of all professional dominatrix? Oh, no, it was an agency of strategic consultants. Oh. <laughs> it was a corporate job. Oh, but a corporate I, job. Yeah, I decided that it was really not for me. And in that gap in between leaving that and thinking about what I'm going to do next, I remembered this suggestion and I decided to Google it. And I was in Sydney at the time where sex work is decriminalized. And so there was a lot of things that were available including the BDSM dungeon that I mentioned earlier. Wow. They were looking for trainees, basically, apprentice mistresses. And so I applied and I joined them and I trained with them. And over time, yeah, I learned a few things. Then they shut down and I went off on my own. And it's been about 10 years plus now. Wow. Yeah. So when you started as a trainee, were there just kind of like courses, workshops? Is it just like kind of like a, getting a college degree, like you know, a certificate, <laughs> something like that? Like what does this training entail? I think every BDSM dungeon and every training sort of program is going to look quite different. There wasn't so much of a structured program. There was a little bit of an idea where a lot of the other mistresses that were more advanced or they were established, you would kind of shadow them and they might pay you a small fee, you know, it's like the client would enjoy having somebody new person around and you would learn that way as well as the headmistress would organize specific, uh, like this is going to be a rope workshop. This is going to be a, this workshop It's going to be that Uh. workshop. Yeah. Uh, With specific people who might come in from outside or, but it wasn't, you know, a, exact curriculum because I think the nature of the industry is that a lot of people come and go and so I think it probably would be quite intimidating if it was very very structured even though I tend to like structure they're probably experienced taught them otherwise but yeah but then you can do a lot of things on your own and I think it's always a good idea also yeah there's a lot of courses that are available it's just like upskilling a craft yeah like further learning different methods or I guess perspectives so when you were telling me about the like kind of observing as a part of training uh, is it that you have to participate as well or do you just watch so my very first day uh, and my very first session (laughs) I followed the instructions very carefully being (laughs) that wait uh, until I was called, come up and just do what I was told. <laughs> and the mistress, her name was Devonia. She 
she got me to hold on to this pallet wrap. So it's like a very large cling film. Uh, and and she started wrapping somebody to a bench and she encouraged me to do the same. And so I just did that. And then she used electrics on this person. So like a little wow. cab. Yeah. And I didn't participate in that part. I just kind of stood and watched and I maybe handed her a towel and then she told me to leave. But it was enough of an observation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I think it really depends on... Wow, was that a huge shock? Absolutely not, because I don't think that I'm the kind of personality that necessarily gets shocked very often. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've got hit by a car once, and that's when I kind of understood what shock felt like, and I haven't really experienced that in my body very much. Wow. (laughs) So I think the way that I'm configured, I'm more curious and interested and open and especially when it comes to people, I don't think I have too many um, walls up. I think I'm quite open to seeing how people are and what they want to bring to their experience. Um, and that probably allowed me to not, to get right in there, maybe. Yeah. Interesting. My observation is you, you have a very calm disposition. So <laughs> it kind of goes into this question that I want to ask. Do you think it takes maybe certain specific characteristics to make a successful professional dom? Um, I would say that I definitely have some peers that are much more anxious than I am and their businesses run just fine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, So for those with high anxiety, you can still have business. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, because I think for them, I think it's quite interesting in that it's, it's a very focused experience. So you have to focus all of your energy on one point, this one person and all the emotions that are happening around it. I think that can probably be quite not necessarily calming, but focusing in a way. And as well as, yeah, maybe that's maybe the main point of how I see how the job could work for them. And I think a lot of the times anxiety can mean that you are just hyper aware of a lot of things, which actually can be very good for the job, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, yeah like like a little bit of OCD. Uh, it's just being so aware of everyone's little movements, everyone's little like interpretations, their needs, and therefore being able to uh, create something for that that addresses it in a satisfying way that your business is sustaining itself. You know. <laughs> yeah, of course, and I'm sure it's so different for everybody, but everyone in that field finds a way that is strong for them right yeah that that's also a really nice thing obviously there's a lot of people who just drop in and drop out but I with the people who I see who have been in it for longer you discover your niche so to speak whether that's going to be how you like just very physical things such as what tools you do or do not use and or advertise it could be the way that you are like displaying your brand so that you have a certain type of personality that personalities that move towards you you know a certain kind of style it could be all sorts of particular little things and the people who are longer within it obviously establish their brands in more distinct ways because we're all very distinct people yeah yeah but in terms of what are characteristics that are going to be common amongst all of us I think you have to be able to run a business yeah (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> an entrepreneur at heart. 
Yeah. <laughs> understand that, you know, there's a product that you need to market. Understand that there's <laughs> cash flow you need to manage. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you turn up on time. <laughs> understand who's <laughs> going to waste your time or not and get rid of the ones that are going to waste the time. Things like this is probably going to make you the most successful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. So like business skills. <laughs> yeah, because a lot of the times you're independent, you know, there's a, in a lot of countries, it's not like in Australia where, or in, sorry, in New South Wales, where you can have uh, a house or an agency to care for your appointments right. and screening and everything. A lot of the t- countries in the world make all of this very illegal. And so you don't have necessarily that fallback and you got to do right. it on your own. So uh, that would probably be number one. And then number two is probably just being able to read people in maybe slightly higher than average. Yeah. 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 Very beneficial. (laughs) Cool. So when you were uh, talking about your experience, you mentioned you've been in this about 10 years. Mm -hmm. 10 years, a long time. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, It feels very comfortable now. Yeah. So what is your daily routine like? Oh, I mean, I don't really work like I used to. You know, and when I was in the dungeon, I do at least three to five shifts a week of eight hours each. And sometimes I would see up to 10 people, you know. Sometimes it'd be like a two-person day. Sometimes it'd be a 10-person day. So is and it typically would- like one hour per session? It, back then it could even be half an hour like a half oh, hour okay because it's mm-hmm. so concentrated half hours probably very intense right it can be it's also a matter of budget people's budgets okay yeah, yeah. and people's lunch times <laughs> wow so people do come in at lunch time oh yes absolutely yeah but just before work <laughs> lunch time just after work middle of the night usually yeah Traffic time. Like, hey y'all, I'll be back. Just gonna go grab a sandwich. Just kidding. <laughs> Stopping by a dungeon. <laughs> Come back with a very large <laughs> smile about there. Yeah. Ready to crush the corporate <laughs> world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I think like these days, my business model, my work model has changed a lot over time. It went from being in the dungeon and that kind of format, and then to touring, so traveling a lot and seeing maybe four or five people in a hotel room in a mm-hmm. random country uh, over three or four days, and then the next country, and then the next country. But nowadays, I have a very small like group of people who I see, and they normally fly to wherever I am, and we'll spend two or three days together. Yeah. And it'd be mostly the power dynamic, and then a little bit of classic playtime. Uh, yeah, so more lifestyle, more like a relationship. And so that's my now. And most of the time, I don't. I might check in on. I have this online um, training platform where I have all of this courseware to do with how I like my feet worshipped, or how I like my gifts, or you know, fun little things like this. And it's called RulePlaceMe.com. So sometimes I create content for that, but normally I don't really have to do very much. I just keep in touch with the the relationships that I do manage, and that's enough. And now I'm in Puerto Escondido in Mexico, looking at the ocean. it sounds like a really freeing experience yeah I mean it's been a very um because I guess like if you just talk about any freelancer your time is your own and the way that you structure your business and 
your mind and what you want to invest or not is your own. And that is good in some ways. And that requires a lot of discipline and innovation. Yeah. In other ways. And so I think because I have a background already in doing that, as well as I've been doing this for as long as I have, I've been able to come to a format that really works to give me the space that I like mm-hmm. to enjoy myself, to take it easy as well as the intensity of the exchange, because that suits my personality. Some people love to work consistently, but that's just Would you say you in your professional Dom uh, persona and you as a person have a lot of overlapping characteristics? Yes, it is exactly me. Yeah. Wow. So you're just just in that setting, in the intimate setting, you're just performing yourself. Yeah, yeah. I get. I mean, uh, all existence and all interaction is performative to some extent. Right. I I agree with that philosophy. Yeah, <laughs> and so it's just like another aspect that can be drawn out. It's in certain, and all relationship is going to look different, and you're going to look different in it. And so for me, it doesn't feel like I'm putting on anything. I feel like it just draws out a different aspect of me. Yeah. So I know that the confidentiality is a huge part of this uh, work, but in general, just for the last 10 years, not any time frame specific, just in the last 10 years, like what are some types of clientele? I think people are curious of, are they usually like high power men or because they want to experience like role switch or is it just really all kinds of people? It's really all kinds of people, and it's very much about how you market. I mean, I have some um, people who shoot a lot with uh, people with like um, women's bodies, and so they tend to have a lot of women-bodied people coming towards them. You know, and mm-hmm. so it it just really depends how you're advertising, how you're kind of putting yourself out there. I can talk about maybe some of my favorite clients. Yeah. Yeah. favorite <laughs> yeah. I, I still remember very fondly this one client when I was in the dungeon and he was a Chinese like migrant to Australia and I think he was like a contractor or something he would come in with paint on his like, really um, sometimes yeah and he was just was the first person who was I didn't really need to give so much instruction. He would fold his clothes super neatly and put them totally out of the way. Like before wow. I even said anything, he was so instinctive in his obedience and, I, and it was it allowed for so much space to, for me to push into the scene itself and for mm-hmm. him to release into it. And he was the first person also that cried after I, I wrapped a session, like in wow. gratitude. And so I remember him very fondly. So I think there was probably a sense of obedience that allowed for us to get quite deep pretty fast, as well as the vulnerability that was shared that I really appreciated. Um, And then I guess that was a long time ago. And then one of my favorites now is just somebody who's been with me for maybe three years now. And just the consistency of his effort and the ability to learn very fast about their shortcomings and how to adjust within that and how to manage themselves as well as to, to project what I need and to anticipate it and to become better and better and better at it. 
I think that has made them like one of my standouts that is wow. that's super with me. And that person is more white collar mm-hmm. uh, because also the, the, what I ask for these days is a lot more than what I used to ask for at the beginning. Yeah. So I think it's just a matter of like price point, you know? Yeah. You know, the world is unfair and it tends to monetarily reward rich white yeah. men. So. <laughs> <laughs> so would that be the, like the majority? Because uh, they can afford the... like a lot that 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 is who can afford it right back in the days when the rate started at 75 dollars to 100 and you know 30 for as a starting point you get all sorts yeah against everybody (laughs) yeah when i (laughs) when i lecture the chapter on bdsm and i typically you know i don't i teach from just the research and theory perspective there's a lot of this, uh, I would say, misunderstanding that it's such a very, very, very uncommon thing. And the more I learn about the world and meeting people from around the world, the more I'm learning that it's a lot more common than I thought. Yeah, yeah. And, and as like smaller aspects that people are playing with and that they don't necessarily realize. is Right. Well. Yeah, I think it's just uh, we want to play, you know, we want to have the exchange. Yeah. That is playful, that distorts things that we think are normal, that adds something to how we want to play with our psyches. Yeah. We want to play with our personalities. And I think it's a lot more of a common desire and draw that people are necessarily yeah. themselves about. <laughs> That's so interesting. Uh, when you said, you know, maybe people are already practicing like BDSM, they just maybe don't know. Uh, yeah. So, like, if I ask my partner to choke me and pretty regularly, <laughs> would that like in the, be in the realm of that? I don't know. You, you know, it's like we, we use these terms to give us a framework that maybe we can learn from, expand on, distort, but we don't necessarily need to use these terms at all. I mean, right. There's probably things that if you did look into the BDSM community, into the frameworks, into the negotiations that would help in slightly riskier activities like choking. Yeah. Slightly very risky activities like choking. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, you don't have to call it anything you don't want to. I love that. That's so liberating. <laughs> I don't have to call it anything. I just like that my partner chokes me sometimes. Yeah. Like the sensation of feeling helpless you like the the physicality of it yeah and then I guess maybe if you can break down those specific things you can start to explore you know what what does helplessness feel like why what is helplessness how else can I feel helpless yeah, yeah. I think that is probably more fun and more important than thinking oh I'm practicing BDSM oh that's so true yeah. I love that you shared yeah. that because I had that thought before but now I'm going to shift towards the perspective of <laughs> What other helpless situations do I want to be? <laughs> I'm going to make that activity an activity with for me and my partner this weekend. Yeah. That sounds like fun. Hmm, I'm going to have to start brainstorming. In what other situations? Oh, wow. That is, that's so cool. Uh, okay. Well, I guess because I was already, you know, talking about certain mm. points or perspective that 
I feel I perhaps misunderstood. And then I want to mm-hmm. go into like, what are some untrue stereotypes about mm-hmm. your sexual community that you've heard of? And maybe some of them are just like, that's insane or that's uh, outrageous. Yeah. <sighs> about my community. I guess I would, I feel More like about you that perhaps yeah. like certain stereotypes that people have. I think, yeah, when it comes to the community, I, I'm not sure. I think the biggest one would probably be that we're strange and that we're just a bunch of weirdos, but I don't think people understand how complex every personality is and how there is no necessary, not necessarily an area that's weirder than another. Um, it's just a matter of societal prejudice. But I think when it comes to, when I think about misunderstandings, it might be more apparent for me when it comes to my identity as a sex worker. Yeah. Um, and in particular, as a dominatrix, I think a lot of people assume that you're working with mostly men one, and then that you are hurting people on a consistent mm-hmm. basis and that you actually don't like the people that you're hurting. I think that's mm-hmm. probably the most ridiculous thing because <laughs> a lot of the times it has nothing to do with pain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's definitely leaning quite heavy on the psychology. And then when it comes to hating the people that, <laughs> that even if you are inflicting pain upon, it's you can't do this on a consistent basis and hate these people or feel disgusted by them or however you have to actually be somebody who's hyper (laughs) connected and looking out for these people because their safety is in your hands because you are there to understand where they're coming from and cater to it yeah If anything, I feel like it's almost like caring. Yeah, I think so. In my yeah. opinion, it's just being an extremely, in a, in a very observant and caring position. Yeah. And at first you said it's like the stereotype is it's just for men. But are you saying there's women clients as well? Definitely. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, absolutely. Ah, so that's <laughs> definitely a stereotype then. Because, yeah, I yeah. thought that as well. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I'm, there are not so many male doms in the industry in comparison to dominatrices. So I think maybe when it comes to heterosexual interactions, mm-hmm. a lot of women can potentially ask for that in their personal spaces more than maybe men are feeling comfortable mm-hmm. to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, when it comes to queer interactions, then there's quite a lot work <laughs> so, mm. yeah yeah there's definitely a lot of women who are into finding dominatrices gosh now that i think about it yeah. that makes sense mm-hmm. what's the so why does it make sense to because like if you were you know like for example i'm flexible right and if mm-hmm. i wanted that type of experience i actually personally and i I can say right now, I don't know if I feel safe with a male. Uh, Yeah. If I wanted to experience a professional dom, I will hire a female. Mm -hmm. So I think that's it just in my own experience and perspective. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure whether that's why the majority of people are coming towards us. I don't. I'm not sure. But I, all I know is there's definitely a market for it. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned this a little bit too, and I read in some research as well that uh, certain BDSM practices and these like power plays can be extremely healing. Uh, can you talk mm. a little bit about that? Well, I think the, there is this conversation between the therapeutic and the therapy when it comes to sex work in general, and then in particular BDSM, professional BDSM exchanges. I think probably my observation of that would be that, as in, in any interaction, if uh, I kind of mentioned a bit earlier as well, in any interaction, I think if you're going to present a sense of vulnerability to somebody and they're going to accept it, I think there's probably something I could use the word healing or just very comforting and reassuring about it. Yeah. And I think that those are just basic things that as social beings we crave. Yeah. Words. And so I think on a very basic level here is something that I haven't revealed to anybody. I see you accepting it and relishing in it. And I feel, I feel cared for and like you are seeing a lot of me. I think that's probably mm-hmm. just a very valuable exchange in and of itself. And that doesn't necessarily have to be within BDS, but it can be within anything. Right. So, yeah. Is it healing? Probably for some people who are very much hiding these aspects mm-hmm. of themselves. Mm-hmm. But it can also be a lot of fun, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fun, a lot of pleasure, novelty. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Just awesome. a little fun. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So my last question would be, um, how can someone get into this if they're interested? Professionally or personally? Let's start with professionally. Professionally, I was very lucky to have joined the dungeon, to be surrounded by a community of professionals, to have access to classes from the get-go you know I think that was so useful for me and the fact that I got to observe so many people in their working styles I noticed that I have that advantage over people who don't necessarily have that experience right there's just a lot of things that you pick up that (laughs) that aren't even communicated it could be as simple as the way that you're holding your hand so that Mm. you don't get stress or something that I didn't understand that I picked up but when I I've been speaking to people who are totally independent from the get-go. They didn't get it. And so now they have issues, you know, just little things like this. But um, ah. so I would say to find a professional community might be useful. However, again, like I said, it, most of the world is not a decriminalized right. space. And so to find that could be more difficult. There's probably specific people who are doing training courses, but I would mm-hmm. always say, don't necessarily subscribe to one sort of style or one mm-hmm. sort of person that be like a launching pad because there's so many ways to do it and there's going to be your specific way yeah eventually. yeah so expose yourself to as much as you can do a business course <laughs> yeah because yeah. again it's a business <laughs> yeah and yeah and try to make sure that you're plugged into the sex work community as much as you can because it's an isolating sector of society for sure yeah and then when it comes to personally i would say get onto fetlife fetlife.com and look for a local munch you'd be surprised what corners of the world have munches a munch is basically a, a gathering where you're at a cafe a restaurant a bar everybody's in just everyday clothing and 
you were just socializing with the community. Find the leader mm-hmm. in the group, ask them to look after you, ask them like the simple questions. How do I start? I'm sort of interested. In, yeah, and hopefully they're respectable enough to be able to take their advice. But again, don't let that be your only thing because there are yes. predators in the scene like everywhere in the world mm-hmm. and diversify your opinion. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Try a play party when you feel more comfortable or try an exchange with somebody who comes with references, you know? Yeah. 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 So what would you say then on the other side of this coin, if uh, someone's interested in procuring (laughs) or working with a dom, uh, how does one start? Yeah, I would say that there are many local listings, uh, probably a very like a more sex worker driven one is Trist. So T-R-Y-S-T dot L-I-N-K, Trist dot Link. Uh, it's sex worker run and it has a little bit better of a reputation in the industry uh, to actually be representative as opposed to maybe uh, an agency doing a false ad or something. Yeah. And then to look up social media profiles behind whoever you find yeah. attractive and to see whether their personality gels with you and then to apply in the fashion that they ask and see where it takes you. Yeah. Be respectful and understand that they are going to be the ones that are leading you through this very (laughs) particular milestone. So yeah. Find somebody that you think you can trust. Yeah. Yeah, of course. And like anything else, right? Respect is number one. Mm. Being respectful. Yeah. Awesome. Definitely. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'd like to move into my uh, game that I typically play with my guest. And mm-hmm. today I'd love to play 10 Quickies with Dr. Tara. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. <laughs> we go by Mistress Ava. Just call me Ava. It's cool. Just Ava. <laughs> All right. So uh, here we go. Number one, mm-hmm. threesomes. Oh, so how do you want me to respond? Like one word or like, uh, like uh, any any first reaction? Anything at all? One word, just a noise, one sentence. Oh, threesomes. Good enough. <laughs> <laughs> nice start. Uh, bondage. Deep. Pegging every day. <laughs> uh, role play. I prefer reality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quickies to fill in the gap. <laughs> Polyamorous relationships. Complex and often worth it. Mm. Number seven, massaging. All the parts. Number eight, daily masturbation. But of course. (laughs) (laughs) Number nine, anal. It's just the beginning. Oh, and number 10, orgy. 
That's more like it. (laughs) (laughs) That's more like it. I love that we're ending on that note. But before we go, do you have any last words, uh, advice and plug? Last words, advice or plugs? Oh, it was was very sweet speaking to you. I'll get to meet you one day. For sure. Uh, and no, I don't, I don't really have any advice. Is there anything that particularly stood out to you about what we were chatting about? Yeah, I would say, uh, what would you say as a couples, if they play in the bedroom, uh, by themselves, like how can they start power play? Oh, power play. I would say it might be a little bit easier out of the bedroom. Yes. It might be things like, I would like my coffee like this right now. <laughs> can you can you maybe give it to me on your knees you know things like this to, to like just start to play with the dynamic not in necessarily a high pressure scenario oh i, I love that kind of inculcate that feeling into yourself i think is probably going to be a long-term nice strategy nice yeah. power plays outside the bedroom i like it yeah I'm a lifestyler. Though. I'm sure there's some people who prefer things in a contained space, but that's my advice. That I <laughs> that's true. It is your advice and I'm receiving it. I like it. <laughs> uh, and plugs. Yeah. Well, everybody can find me on the internet if, they, if social media decides not to kick me off, which they tend to do to sex workers at uh, you will please me. So that's Twitter. That's Instagram. And also, I guess you can probably find the majority of info on me at eva-oh.com, which is my kind of mother's site, which all the other things kind of come off of. So Wonderful. Thank you so much for having this conversation with us, Ava. Thank you so much, Tara. All right, loves. Well, I hope you're having an orgasmic day. Bye. How amazing would it be if you don't have to hold your vibrator? Let me introduce you to Eva by Dame, hands-free vibrator. Eva is a hands-free, waterproof couples vibrator that gives you clitoral stimulation during penetrative sex. You're going to feel so good while Eva stays out of the way so you can focus on the moment. Use the link in this episode's description to the product page and use my discount code DRTARA for 10% off. Have an orgasmic time. Thanks for listening. This was was Love Bites by Dr. Tara. Follow Dr. Tara on social media at lovebites.co. Have an orgasmic day.